we're going to pick up right where we left off. Uh, this promise of the Spirit. Huh? And then, from out of his midst shall flow rivers of living water. Huh? From whose midst? From Jesus' midst. Oh, see? And so, uh, now we have this notion. See, from his midst shall flow. Uh, and that's what happens at the cross. There flowed out blood and water. The Spirit and the sacrifice. The sacrifice, the blood, the Spirit, who gives us life, energy, wisdom, joy, power, a meaning for life, delights us. That comes from the midst of Jesus. It comes from his pierced heart. And that's what all of this is about. That rock that Moses hit and gave forth water, that was a preparatory prophecy of the chest of Jesus pierced by the lance, and out came water and blood. And then there's a solemn witness, you see. And he who saw this bears witness, you see. And so, of course, now, because there's no punctuation in the ancient Greek text, um, there are many ways to understand this. Um, but um, um, St. Thomas uh, acknowledges the, there's two. He um, quotes Chrysostom and then he quotes Jerome. See, first of all, what, these, what reverence these great geniuses have for their forefathers. Aquinas, when he's commenting on Scripture, quotes Jerome, uh, Augustine, uh, Chrysostom, because he listens to these men. You see? Now, uh, only Jerome read Greek of that old Chrysostom, of course, because he is Greek. But, um, you see, who believes in me, then as Scripture says, see, uh, and then Jerome quotes this text, um, drink water from your cistern and uh, flowing water from your well. Uh, that's an illusion. Who's the well? Jesus. It's from him and from his pierced side that there flows this water and blood. Now when that happens, then right away, as we'll read when we get to chapter 19, knowing uh, on the cross now, knowing that all things have been accomplished, the last thing being entrusting Mary to John and John to Mary. He says, I thirst, and then bowing over his head, he died. And died, the expression is, he handed over the Spirit. From that act of love on the cross flows, you see, uh, the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of our Lord's death. And so, uh, John explains, now he said this of the Spirit which those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. This intimate connection between the glorification of Jesus, which is the cross, and the presence of the Spirit. 
the Spirit was not yet, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit didn't exist, of course, but the Spirit was not present, active, as he would be, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now you can read, for instance, in um, Acts 2.33, exalted at the right hand of God, Jesus received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, and he poured him forth, as you both see and hear. Pentecost. The glorification of Jesus is complete when the Spirit is poured out. And as, as Peter in his speech, this is Acts 2, says, you see, Jesus, exalted at the right hand of God, now he's glorified, you see, received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, and he poured him forth. And now the Spirit is here. He's the fruit of the act of love in which Jesus died, which is the foundation for his own glorification, which in turn then makes him the source, the living source of the living water, who is the Holy Spirit. And so, you see, the uh, Spirit was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's difficult, isn't it? It's got something to do, among other things, with the fact that the humanity of Jesus had to be divinized before it could be the source of the Holy Spirit. There's some connection there. I suspect it. I've uh, pondered it sometimes. I'm not quite ready to uh, develop that. I have to work on it some more, but there's some connection. One humanity had to be glorified so that other humanities could receive the Holy Spirit and have that Holy Spirit penetrate their spirit, penetrate their heart. This is what happened at Pentecost and happens at every baptism and certainly in, in every maturing Christian. The Holy Spirit takes up his abode and he's living and active. He's living water. And it's the most precious thing in the world to become aware of that. To be aware of what we have received in baptism and confirmation. And Pope Benedict calls that, being aware of this gift, baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's absolutely correct. It's a question of a growth in experiential faith. Knowing what we have received in baptism and confirmation. Now, that ends the central statement of chapter 7. The text goes on now <clears throat> for 13 more verses, and we're going to do that now. But that promise and that explanation, you see, it's the act of love in which Jesus died, which is the foundation for his transformation, even physically. His ascension is when his body is deified. From that deified body, one of us has been deified, even physically. And now he is apt to be the source of the Holy Spirit. So, as the book says, you see, um, uh, it is, um, I'm looking for that text again, uh, exalted at the right hand of God, that's his ascension. He received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father and poured him forth. And that's what you see in here. That's Pentecost. That's every action of the Holy Spirit is poured forth from the very midst of Jesus, glorified, but it's from that pierced side 
that the Holy Spirit flows to save, to sanctify the world, okay? Now the rest of this text goes, Some from the crowd, upon hearing these words, said, This is truly the prophet. Now we all know what that means by now, right? That's Deuteronomy 18, the one, the prophet is going to come like Moses. Others were saying, This is the Messiah. But others were saying, Is the Messiah coming from Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the city where David was? Yes, it does, in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient times. However, we're dealing here with something whose um, intensity of expectation I want to try to explain mm, briefly. In the prophecy of Nathan to Samuel, to uh, David, in 2 Samuel 7.14, the text says, uh, I can just recite it for you, one from your own loins, you see, from your seed, will sit on the throne. That meant one after the other, you see, a collective singular. A generic singular, if you will. One will come. If he disobeys me, I will punish him. I will strike him with the rod, but I will not take my spirit, my, 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 my promise from him. Okay? Now, this is such a solemn promise. Even though in the exile, it was the end of the Davidic kingdom until our Lord came. But the prophecy lived on. And after a while, they realized it wasn't a generic Ben David, a generic son of David. It was the son of David. So when this prophecy is repeated, now this is what I mean about being sensitive to the text as the one who was working and rewriting uh, Samuel and carrying it forth, uh, this rewrite of Samuel and Kings, which is the book of Chronicles. Now listen to how he records this same prophecy. I will raise up your offspring, that is, your seed, Zerah, who will be one of your own sons, and I will establish the kingdom. He it is who shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me, and I will not withdraw my favor from him as I withdrew it from him who preceded you, but I will maintain him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be firmly established. By subtle little changes in the wording of the prophecy of Nathan, it becomes now not a generic singular, but a singular singular. There will be one who will come. And now you notice there's not a word about infidelity and punishment. When this one comes, there will not be any question of infidelity or punishment. And, see, he will be on his throne forever. Now do you see how delicately this Old Testament is written? If you know that first prophecy in 2 Samuel, when you come across this prophecy in 1 Chronicles, you realize that all the places where this promise has been repeated throughout all of the Old Testament, the Psalms and elsewhere, has now come to be a prophecy of one man who is the seed of David, who will rule forever. Now you see 
as the centuries went by, they understood more deeply that prophecy and did it that way. Now, a division among them. And they wanted to lay hold of him. Then the temple guards went to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they asked the temple guards, Why did you not bring him in? The guards answered, Never has a man spoken like this. The Pharisees answered them, Are you also led astray? Have any of the leaders believed in him, or any of the Pharisees? We're the big shots. We're the ones who determine when something's authentic or not. How dare you do this? You see, we can all do this. Give us a tiny little bit of authority, and we think we're King Tut. You know, it's so nice to find a humble leader who's listening to the Lord, obeying the Lord. We should pray for all those who lead. Okay. Uh, but the crowd, ignorant of the law, they are accursed. They don't know the law. You see, then, surprise, Nicodemus, from chapter 3, he's back. Nakdimon ben Gurion stands up and says, Does our law condemn a man if they have not heard from him first and ascertain what he is doing? And their answer, Are you from Galilee? You've got to realize Galilee is... Uh, like what? It's like some town you would think of that nobody wants to go to, you see? Uh, are you from Galilee? Investigate and see. No prophet is to arise from Galilee. We have it figured out. No prophet's going to come. No God can come in and disturb our figuring out. That's the end. And then a line which introduces the next incident, and each one went to his house. And then, and we'll take up that the next time, uh, that is the, uh, the woman taken in adultery. And I'll explain, it's not a Johannine text, but it's a very beautiful traditional text. It's in John and some manuscripts of Luke. But it's such a precious story that the Holy Spirit made sure it didn't get lost.